Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Boogie. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Got a big show for you today. Very interesting topic that I think is worth discussing because at some level we can all sit back and see the world of comedy and more broadly free, expe- uh, free expression being eroded away before our very eyes. And I found this particular article enlightening for the manner in which this move to suppress is being presented as you know, an overall a good thing, something you need in your life. And there's always a kind of gift wrapping that comes along with these totalitarian ideas to make them presentable. Because if the harsh reality of what these people are promoting, then very few people, I think, at all, would be supporting it. Um, If you're speaking of support, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course... If you'd like to insult me with a couple of jokes, then find me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. So just before we get into that topic, I wanted to do a little bit of follow-up on yesterday's show, the Covington Crusades, one of the most downloaded shows we've ever had. So thanks to everyone who downloaded it and enjoyed it and shared it. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, obviously. Um, but just a little follow-up. The school, you've probably heard by now that the school had to be closed today because of reasons reasons surrounding security, most namely bomb threats, death threats. They couldn't guarantee the safety of the students, ladies and gentlemen. And this is obviously just reinforcing how tolerant the people who are against the red hat, so to speak, are. Because, you see, by essentially getting a school shut down by threatening to blow it up and kill people by threatening genuine physical harm to people because of a mischaracterized video circulated on social media. This is obvious evidence and obvious proof that you are on the right side of history. You are tolerant. You know, you need to prevent the harm that comes with seeing somebody smile and do nothing else because they're wearing a red hat and that person has white skin. You need to prevent that harm. And the best way to prevent that harm and maintain the moral high ground is, of course, to threaten death and destruction and misery against those who wear it. Proving once again you are the bastion of progress and tolerance in today's world. You're not regressing at all. You are on the right side of history. And it is absolutely moral of you to threaten to kill anybody who disagrees. Bravo. Well done, comrades. Once again, you show everybody who's paying attention the right way to live. And it's a good segue into today's discussion, I found this article, which you can read along in the show notes if you wish, in The Guardian, and it's entitled, Is Stand-Up Comedy Doomed? 
the future of funny post Kevin Hart, Louis CK and Nanette. Whether it's censorship, problematic tweets or hashtag me too, comics are being scrutinized like never before. Is there a new sense of panic in the industry? Comedy is in a period of extraordinary flux. The past two years have witnessed the reputations of revered comics such as Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari implode in the wake of Me Too allegations. Then there is the culture of unearthing old tweets, with stand-ups being held to account for problematic jokes they've made online. For Kevin Hart, it even cost him his most high-profile gig to date, hosting the Oscars. There are also increasing fears around political comedy and censorship. This month, Hassan Minaj's Netflix special was pulled because he criticised the Saudi regime over the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. While Michelle Wolf's searing political set at the White House Correspondents Association dinner in 2018 led to the board announcing that 2019 will be the first time in 15 years that a comic would not be presenting the event. Elsewhere, Jim Davidson, a man once so vile he was almost immune to judgment, was reported for hate speech at his own birthday party. The comedy goalposts are shifting and there is a demand that the art form gets more socially conscious. Now, that line I find uh, interesting. There is a demand that the art form gets more socially conscious. Who is making this demand? Where is this demand coming from? Largely. Is it the majority of people? Or is it a handful of people? And just in the definition itself, comedy gets, there's a demand that comedy gets more socially conscious. Comedy has always been socially conscious. That doesn't mean that it's politically correct. Comedy has always been, you know, a a running commentary on our lives and our society and the things within it. What we see and what we hear and the observations that we make. Comedy should get more socially conscious? Oh, you mean comedy should stop making jokes that you don't like, right? And there's a, there's a very selfish aspect to all of this, just before we go further into the article, isn't there? Because people will quite happily sit down and laugh at others. And sometimes these people profess to be the most tolerant amongst us. And yet when laughter is directed their way, all of a sudden, well, the comedian's not being socially conscious enough. Back to the article. When comedians say, oh, you can't say anything these days, what they are actually saying is, I don't know how to be funny without stomping on people. (laughs) Which is fair enough. Not everyone has those skills, says Danish stand-up and podcaster Sophie Hagen. I spoke about this on Thursday night in the free-for-all. No, actually, it was Trust and Verify on Sunday night. This ability that some people have to see one thing, it's an obvious straw man argument, right, to begin with, but putting that to one side, this ability that some people have to see a statement or hear words and then concoct their own reflection on that word, which has nothing to do with what's actually said, this is the mating call of the moron. 
So when some when one comedian says, "Oh, you can't say anything these days," what this Danish comedian actually hears in her mind, in her ears, is, "I don't know how to be funny without stomping on people." <laughs> Meanwhile, she's stomping on the comedians who say that they can't say anything these days. Of course, maybe she's not trying to be funny. I don't know. But a lot, she continues, but a lot of comedians do, and they're doing well based on that. Oh, okay. Hannah Gadsby, Nish Kumar, Sarah Pascoe, Mark Watson, Sophie Duca, May Martin. There are loads who manage to say a lot of things without repercussions who are really, really funny while doing it. Sometimes it takes a bit of extra work. You have to be aware of your own privilege, and you have to educate yourself so you don't use damaging language. Isn't that wonderful? I think that all comedians, before they jump up on stage, should have to go through a privilege checklist. I mean, ideally, what we want is people with privilege to not do comedy shows at all. Comedy is a very, very difficult market to break into, and it's a very, very difficult way to make a living. So I think, you know, any comedian who, say, has a Netflix special or who is promoted ad nauseum by major networks who gets gets promoted ahead of other comedians because they say things like you know you have to be aware of your privilege or perhaps just make jokes about Christians a lot I mean why why are they earning of this privilege in comedy why do they get on ahead of somebody else Comic James Mann agrees. The thing about stand-up is you can joke about absolutely anything. Nothing is off limits. It's just how well you can write and frame the joke. I know lazy comics who only complain about political correctness because they don't want to update their material. (laughs) The other people who complain are those who want a platform to spout hateful rhetoric. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. A comedian who complains about political correctness, like, say, for example, Jerry Seinfeld. Now, Jerry Seinfeld announced a couple of years ago that he was sick of the political correct, uh, the politically correct atmosphere at university campuses, and he would no longer be doing shows there. Now, I can recall uh, Jerry Seinfeld's one of my favorite comedians, one of the greatest of all time. Barely doesn't really talk about politics and doesn't doesn't curse. Maybe that's why he's maybe that's why he's considered lazy or spouting hateful rhetoric now because he's not enough of a lefty. <laughs> he he probably is a liberal. I mean, he's from New York, right? But he doesn't talk about politics enough. He doesn't make Donald Trump jokes ad nauseum. So maybe that's why he's now considered to be spouting hateful rhetoric. Things like, did you ever notice on the airplane how small the peanuts are? The packet of peanuts. Right, jokes like this. These, this is just this is a platform to spout hateful rhetoric, ladies and gentlemen. Or John Cleese, for example, you know the guy who wrote Faulty Towers. Although, to be fair, there was a Spaniard working in the kitchen, a guy named Manuel, who was kind of characterised as a bit haphazard and a bit incompetent at his job. So maybe that would now be considered hate speech, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure. Back to the article. But it's not just about laziness. Sometimes there is a deliberate attempt to rile. Oh, who would have thought that comedians would deliberately try to push people's buttons? 
<laughs> what a revelation. What a revelation. We can't have this. We can't have this. But then, of course, the major hypocrisy here is you will see comedians that get up there and make jokes that, uh, you know, about toxic masculinity, for example, about white people, about Christians, about conservative, all the usual stuff. And that would be edgy and powerful and, you know, pushing pushing the privilege of the chosen people in society back in their face and making everyone laugh at it. Right? <laughs> that's That's fine. That's absolutely fine. And that's not, that's, so what if it's a deliberate attempt to rile people up? Some people, I've read this quote many times when it comes to this stuff. People say, you know, the white people need to feel uncomfortable. This is a vehicle for change. You know, maybe the problem here is maybe sometimes you have to figure out whether you want to be a comedian or an activist. I'm not saying you can't be both but it's a little bit harder unless of course you're promoted and protected by the weak need and the lily livered gatekeepers of the industry. Back to the article. However, there is a new generation of comics retaliating against the old template of comedy, nights such as the lol word for queer women and non-binary performers and FOC it up or fuck it up standing for Femmes of Colour have emerged, along with the new comic voices including Chloe Petz, Jodie Mitchell, Kemar Bob and Sarah Barron. Hagen is also emblematic of this new kind of comedian. Last year, she demanded that every venue on her Dead Baby Frog tour was anxiety safe, meaning audience members with anxiety could be allowed into the venue before others arrived or be warned of any words or topics that might be triggering for them had gender-neutral bathrooms that were wheelchair-accessible. She had a positive response from fans but faced inevitable backlash online. Is this the future of funny? Perhaps it's the only way to survive. Comic Dave Dane Baptiste thinks it could be detrimental to a comic's career to plough on with, quote, problematic humour. Now we're starting to get to the point, aren't we? Because ultimately, if you want to make politically correct jokes and provide a safe space for the audience and not really be too edgy and try your best not to offend people, I don't think anybody has a problem with that. That's fine. But of course, the presentation here, the way this story is gift-wrapped is that it's all through choice. And we know that's not the case. We know that's not the case. Here you have a comic admitting that it could be detrimental to your career to plough on with non-PC jokes. What's he saying there, though? Is he saying that people don't want to hear it or that you won't get any gigs? There's a difference. There's a big difference. If those who think that certain kinds of jokes and humour are problematic, then they will walk out of the show. They will leave the show. But why is it? Why is there this obsession, this totalitarian mindset that if I don't enjoy it and I find it offensive, then none of you can hear it either? And it's wrapped in this self-righteousness, like you're doing the right thing. 
by preventing other people from hearing it. See, free speech is a two-way street. It's always been a two-way street. When you are suppressing speech, when you are no-platforming people, you are not just stopping that person from hearing. You're not just infringing on that person's right to speak. You are infringing on my right to hear it. Now, who the hell are you? You might be, you might be the most gifted comedian who's ever walked God's green earth. But who the fuck are you to decide for me what I can and can't hear? Who the fuck are you to decide for me what I'm capable of listening to? If I don't get triggered, if I don't feel anxious by hearing jokes even directed at me, does, does that mean I'm on the wrong side of history? Am I a problem now? Am I part of the problem? Am I supposed to share in your anxiety and your misery? Is this the way it's supposed to work? Because it's always presented like, well, you know, this is just a natural shift. This is just the way things are. Now, most people agree with us, but we know that's plainly false. Most people do not agree. Listen to this quote. The people who come to my shows, the people who enjoy my stand-up and my podcasts, they're on the right side of history. How often have you heard that? That's a meme now. That is, that is one of the most stereotyped lines of all time here in 2019. Anybody who disagrees with your views about tolerance or progress or intersectionality or what you can and can't say or who can and can't say certain things or any of that, well, you're just on the wrong side of history. <laughs> it's a nothing statement. It's meaningless. It's rhetorical sewerage. You aren't saying anything. You're saying a lot. You're saying a lot of words, but you aren't saying anything. It's certainly not profound. Well, we're on the right side of history. It's a bumper sticker moment. Back to Dane Baptiste, another quote. It's not an obligation for comedians to be socially aware in their narrative, but I feel that if you have no commentary on the mechanics that affect your life and the lives of others, you might find yourself rather detached and eventually irrelevant. So how does that apply to the people who disagree with this push for political correctness in comedy? Government-approved comedy, ladies and gentlemen. University-approved comedy. Perhaps we could submit all of our potential jokes for the day to something like a council of elders, say, you know, an overseeing body who obviously holds all of the wisdom and knowledge about what is funny and what isn't, <clears throat> what jokes you can make and what jokes you can't. And we can submit our potential humor to them and they can decide for us. Yes, that's approved. That's not approved. Sorry about that. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? Carrying on. When it comes to how people balance freedom of speech versus social responsibility, see again, this is the censorship sales pitch. I mean, this is a false dichotomy. There are, this is your binary option. These are your binary options in the world of comedy now as presented by these people. You are either, you know, a problematic anti-PC 
dusty dinosaur who wants to stomp on people, who's lazy and wants to spout hateful rhetoric, or you're on the right side of history with a conscience and you observe your important social responsibility. Do you see the way these things are framed? I would argue that it's actually socially irresponsible for a comedian to deliberately allow others to tell them what they can and can't say. Like, as a comedian, you're supposed to be at the forefront of free expression, of freedom of speech. And you've got a wonderful gift that you can get away with this. A lot of people in their everyday lives cannot say the things comedians can say because it's generally accepted. There is an unspoken rule, an unspoken bond between audience and performer that when the performer is up on stage, you're going to have to drop your guard and the performer is going to challenge you in one way or another. And part of the reason that makes this, <clears throat> part of the reason that makes this arrangement so good is because it's dangerous, because you don't know. You don't know. You might be the butt of the joke, but you're supposed to be tolerant of that. That's the arrangement between audience and performer. If the performer, if it's known by the audience that they will no, not experience any dangerous situation comedy-wise, there's going to be no risk, there's going to be no anxiety, there's not going to be any shifting uneasily in the seat or laughing under their breath at a joke that they shouldn't be laughing at because it's a naughty joke. Do you still want to go and watch the show? If you had the option to never again for the rest of your life be potentially upset by something you hear, would you take it? Would you take that option? Where is your freedom at that point? If you could have all of your input from this moment on, pre-programmed, never to offend you, would you want that? Or would you prefer to be a human being? instead of a program. Though it would be complacent just to assume that any backlash to its increased nuance, consideration and empathy in comedy is just coming from nearly dead Daily Mail readers, there's a new sense of panic about tolerance. And it's not just among older people. <laughs> Yes, that's, that's, that's what the panic's about. It's about tolerance. People are afraid of tolerance, you mindless morons. <laughs> no, it's not. You see, because people understand that being tolerant of things is allowing other people to say things that they don't like. That's tolerance. That's tolerance. Demanding comedians toe the line and have a pre-approved list of jokes that they can and can't make is not tolerance. That is the opposite of tolerance. That is intolerance. You are being intolerant. You are not on the right side of history at that point. 
unless you consider the idea that you would eventually suppress all other voices bar those which agree with you, and then you would write the history books yourself, declaring yourself the heroes who erased oppression or something similar. Just because you smother everyone else who disagrees, then, then you might be able to say that you're on the right side of history. We're on the right side of history. We burned everybody else's books. So that there are no other history books. There are no other historians. There are no other storytellers. There are no other comedians. There are no other commentators. It's just us. Yay, we won. We were on the right side of history. But speaking about this panic of tolerance, and since, since this article quoted, uh, referenced nearly dead Daily Mail readers, I thought I'd bring up the Daily Mail. And an article here. What a joke. His dissident grandfather fled Russia for the freedoms of Britain. Now comedian Constantine Kissin has faced ludicrous censorship by snowflake students here. His withering response. This is the comedian. When a mysterious contract for a stand-up gig at the School of Oriental and African Studies popped into my inbox, inbox on Sunday, I didn't give it a second thought. After all, I've been a stand-up comedian for three years now. I'm used to contracts and the gig wasn't until January. What possible surprises could there be? As it turned out, its contents were as depressing as they were alarming. Scrolling through the small print, I found something plucked out of George Orwell's 1984 called a, quote, behavioural agreement form, which prescribed a list of endless themes I couldn't make jokes about. Racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, or anti-religion or anti-atheism. <laughs> and so, if you think about this list, right, it's racism, sexism, classism, blah, 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 blah. It's not even, that's, that's obviously a problem trying to get a comedian to say, well, you can't make jokes about these certain topics. But and the, the problem is deeper than that because the problem comes down to one of definition. Because today, what can be defined as racist or sexist or classist or homophobic or transphobic or xenophobic is completely fluid. Any single one person's interpretation of an event or a situation can be deemed racism because they say so. And if you don't believe me, look at yesterday's show where we were talking about children wearing a red hat with Make America Great Again on it, and people are screaming that this is a symbol of Nazism. Alyssa Milano tweeting out that the red hat is the new white hood. So if you don't think that all definitions now, including for things like racism and sexism and homophobia, are fluid to the point of absurdity, where almost where people can define a garment, a red hat, as all of these things, then you understand that the problem is deeper than just saying, we don't want you to make racist or sexist jokes. The problem is, what do we define as racist and sexist? Because it can be just about anything. It also declared that all, this is the comedian, it also declared that all my material had to be respectful and kind. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if I want to see comedy like that. I don't even know what that means. He goes on, come on, I'm a comedian. 
In normal life, I think I am a respectful and kind person. I certainly try to be. But up on stage at a comedy club with an inebriated and feisty audience in front of me, take it from me, respectful and kind just doesn't cut it. There is a measure of cruelty at the heart of almost all comedy. Even self-deprecating jokes have bite. The irony was that I'd first been approached by a student who'd seen my normal set at Top Secret, one of, one of London's best comedy clubs, and clearly enjoyed it. Would I be prepared to do an unpaid gig to raise money for the school's UNICEF charity, he asked. I was happy to help. So obviously this guy just wants a platform to spout, uh, spout hateful rhetoric, right? Obviously this guy is just a hater, doing volunteering to do charity gigs for UNICEF. Ah, oh, he's obviously just an evil, lazy comedian who just wants to stomp on people. He wants to put people in a state of anxiety of perpetual misery while he's doing charity gigs for UNICEF. Of course, the list itself is a laughable pastiche of today's politically correct times, but it is also deeply concerning, especially for someone like me who was born in the Soviet Union, the home of Stalinist purges, the KGB, Gulag prison camps, and about the last place on earth you would readily associate with freedom of speech. And yet here I was in London, the capital of a country still seen as the birthplace of democracy and as a bastion of tolerance and free speech, being told what I could and couldn't say at an event being hosted at a leading university. It's extraordinary. He goes on. My family know all about political repression and the denial of free speech. I came to Britain to stay with my grandfather who decades earlier had dared to speak out against the government. Back then, saying the wrong thing had serious repercussions. He was reported to the KGB and forced into exile. When he arrived in England, he was enthralled by the prospect of living in a land where citizens were free to speak their minds. It was the absence of behavioural agreement forms that he celebrated. Why is it people always? Why is it always people with some kind of connection to the communist old world? either through themselves leaving that, that, those countries or family members leaving those countries. Why is it always these people who are the first to identify when we in the West are pushing a little bit too hard on the censorious tip? Why is it always those people who are the first to speak out and say, hey, you know what, this isn't really a good idea, it didn't really work? And then, of course, what do they get in response? They get other people saying, shut up, you're not on the right side of history. My comedy is going to be inclusive and tolerant of everyone except you, you fascist pig. You need to understand your privilege better. That's the problem. You need to do more education about the problematic comedy and the problematic language that offends people, you bastard. Here, sign this behavioural form. We'll be watching you. <laughs> Ah, oh, we're on the right side of history over here. Support for freedom of speech clearly runs in our family, the author continues. My grandmother was born in a gulag prison camp where her parents had been sent for, you guessed it, saying the wrong thing. Ideological oppression is exactly what I had hoped I had had escaped by coming here. But as that behavioural agreement form showed, I was wrong. Not that I was particularly surprised, for as, as we have seen, Britain's conviction in freedom of expression is waning. 
and its decline is most obvious at our universities, where barely a week goes by without news of someone being no-platformed, having their invitation to speak suddenly withdrawn by outraged students frothing at the mouth about some perceived slight or other. And that's really the point here that I want to get to. That's really the point I want to hammer down. If it was just the audience deciding what kind of comedian they wanted to listen to, nobody would have a problem with it. But again, the problem like we discussed earlier is that this is not just a natural evolution. This is not just a natural progressive move of a, you know, a, a body of people making conscientious decisions not to offend others. No. No, this is not. If you don't toe the line, your career will be taken from you, regardless of how popular you are. It doesn't matter if you've got 100 million followers on Twitter. If we, the, the few who want to wrap society up in this censorious, tyrannical, totalitarian blanket, do not like your material or do not like what you say, then you will be wiped off. You will be gone. And very, very few people with a career are willing to take that risk, are willing to go down that path and take that step. Now, they can try and gift wrap it and say, well, it's all about just being nice, being on the right side of history. It's just about having a social conscience. It's really just, we just don't want to stomp on people. Can you really believe them? Or is this part of the rationalisation? Is this part of the bargaining that people do with themselves? So they can imagine that they're doing the right thing while they fly in the face of everyone who's come before them. Acting and arguing against speaking truth to prevailing narratives and societal norms. Now you must enforce them. And you must do so with brutal and swift accuracy. And you must clamp down on anybody who doesn't agree. With that, guys, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com, become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you want to make a joke at my expense, please do so. I don't even block anybody. There'll be no plat- no no platforming here, comrade. So if you want to do that, head over to Twitter and look for at Boogie Bumper. Till next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.